0: So, as you know, we've just gotten through the Passover and Easter season, and at Book of Life in Bethar Shalom, we have our feet in both. The Jewish community just ended Passover last night. So for those who are observing the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it extended an extra day, like all the Jewish holidays do outside the land of Israel. They have a second day, just to make sure they get the calendar right. And I was telling people, because I usually follow those traditions, it's like, man, I can't wait to sink my teeth into a donut. <laughs> you never think you miss leaven until you're without it for a week. And so I drove by the donut shop and it was closed. And I was so disappointed. Because <laughs> I'm not going to get one of those, you know, chain grocery store donuts. Those aren't real. I don't know how they ruin it. They ruin a good bagel and they ruin a good donut. But at least they got some good tortillas. So <laughs> I'm all right there. But they do. I know they're not as good as like on the south side off the little vendor, but still, they're good. Um, and I love the ingredients, too. It's like some sort of vegetable shortening, salt and water. That's it. And flour, of course. you know That's it. Well, some of them have fat. I go with the veggie ones. <laughs> yeah, you can get like lard or something, I know. Swine flesh, No, that's not for me. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> So obviously, I've had a lot of Passover and Easter on my mind lately, and I wanted to finish up with the Passover Easter season this morning, and then God willing, next week, we'll get into the book of Revelation. And uh, next Sunday, by the way, uh, my plan, and and Joseph, you need to know this, or or I'll end up leaving you behind, is I'm going to preach, I'm going to say goodbye, and I'm going to leave, because i got to get over to the Reed Park for the March of Remembrance. And even though everything doesn't start till 3 o'clock, I've got to get there early. I wanna help put fires out in case anything happens. I wanna make decisions and make sure everything's just right, you know. I don't wanna be there at the last minute and stressing out. So I'm just gonna preach and fly. Anne, you're familiar with that, aren't you? When Anne and I first met, I was a guest preacher at a church she used to go to, and I would preach, and even before worship was over, I would leave because we started a new church. So I'd go preach at her church where I was a guest and come to this other church we started called Book of Life Community Church while worship was already going on and start preaching there. Remember those days when we had, you know, 10 cars in the parking lot? And we thought that place was packed. <laughs> My, have times have changed. Okay, so let me get into this morning's lesson. Uh, one of the first things that was said about Jesus when he entered public ministry... John the Baptist saw him. Remember, John was extremely famous. Everybody believed him to be a prophet. John saw him coming, and he told everybody who was with him, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, you're standing there with a prophet, and he says, look. What do you do? You look. look. So everybody in his crowd goes. And at that moment, I just can imagine they're saying, which one's he talking about? None of them stood out. He was just a guy. He looked like all the other guys there. He wasn't glowing. He wasn't extra tall. He wasn't extra handsome. He didn't look holy. He just looked like one of the guys. And then he said, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I'm sure they're looking at each other saying, what's he talking about? That's weird. I mean, you know the story, but they didn't know the story. They didn't know Jesus. It'd be kind of like me today, right now. Somebody walks in and I say, look, the loaf of bread who gets buttered on both sides. You'd be like, what? I know that means something. Or you wouldn't have said it. What do you think it means? And he never answered. He didn't tell him what it meant. And so I'm sure they had to go home and talk about it and try to figure it out for quite a while. You know he was called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world because you know he died for your sins as a lamb. But the question I want to ask you today is why was he called the Lamb? There are a lot of things sacrificed in the temple. Doves, and dove stands for peace, and he's the prince of peace. Maybe he should have been the dove of God who takes away the sin of the world. I think uh, bullocks, you know, bulls were offered. They're bigger, they're more valuable. Why not the bull of God? who takes away the sin of the world. And it's not like he just had to pick one and that was the random one he picked. No, there was a reason he called him specifically the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And the answer to that question, why he's called the Lamb, and not the bull or the dove or something else, is in the Passover story. And its fulfillment is mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Here's what it says. You must remove the old yeast of sin so that you'll be entirely pure. For our Passover festival is ready now that Christ, our Messiah, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So when Paul the Apostle wrote, he said that Jesus is our Passover lamb, our Passover sacrifice. Uh, some of you know this story, but let me just give you a quick summary of the Passover story. We're going back 1,500 years before Jesus. So think about that for a minute. If we went back 1,500 years right now, where would that put us? Like in the ancient of days. We don't even know what was going on on the planet in those days. So this was Israel's ancient history, even in Jesus' day, which is our ancient history. In those days, the Egyptians took the Jewish people as slaves which was a horrible thing to do. You know, according to the the Scriptures, if you kidnap somebody and turn them into a slave, you're to be executed. It's for the death penalty. Kidnapping brings the death penalty. It It was against the law. It was wrong. It was evil. And if you did that to a total stranger, that's just the height of evilness. But you know what's even worse? They didn't do it to total strangers. They did it to friends. And not just friends. The Jewish people are responsible for saving Egypt And making it one of the most wealthy and prosperous and powerful kingdoms on the planet at that time. So the Jewish people prospered Egypt, but then the Egyptians saw how multitude how many Jewish people there were becoming, and so they decided to turn them into slaves. It's just wrong. It was just bad. It was an evil thing to do. But God promised to redeem them. So Moses told Pharaoh, let the people go. By the way, this isn't just a Pharaoh statue. This is probably what the pharaoh, this is the pharaoh of the Exodus. There was the pharaoh of the oppression and the pharaoh of the Exodus, and the conservative archeologists would, would probably this is probably the pharaoh of the of the oppression. So when Moses was a baby, this was the pharaoh. This is his face. If you want to do more research on that yourself, you want to look up Thut- Moses III and Amenhotep II. And uh, from a conservative p- perspective, these are the guys. So anyway, he told told, uh, Pharaoh, let my people go. And speaking of archaeology, where we get this kind of stuff, when was the story of Moses written? The Bible critics, they like to say everything was written much later, and they just told you the story about the past. Like it was made up, it was just a story. And there's so much evidence that that's not true. Just the word Pharaoh in the Exodus story is evidence that that's not true. Just the word Pharaoh shows us that the story was written back in the days of Moses. How can that be, Steve? Because shortly after that time, even in the Bible, you start seeing the Pharaohs are named. Kind of like today. We don't just say, oh yeah, the president. We might in today's culture. But if I was talking about history, I'd give him a name, President Bush. I'd have to say the first Bush or the second Bush or President Washington, the first president, or Abraham Lincoln. Otherwise, we don't know which president because we had so many. Well, they had lots of pharaohs, so they named them. But early on in their history, they didn't name them. They just said pharaoh. So the fact that he's not named in the Exodus story tells us that the story was written a long time ago, prior to when they started naming them. By the time we get to the kings of Israel, they're already being named. And we see a Pharaoh coming into Israel and conquering right away after the temple was built. So we know what he looks like. We know the story was authentic to Moses. Moses wrote it, not some guy many years later putting Moses' name on it. Well, the Pharaoh said, no, I'm not going to let the the people of Israel go. I don't honor you. I don't honor your God. And you guys are valuable as slaves. You're staying right here. So God started a string of plagues on the Egyptians to inspire to let them go. God started sparing the Jewish people the plagues and just started putting them on the Egyptians. But the worst plague, the last plague, the 10th plague, was going to be the death of every firstborn in the house. And God told the Jewish people, you will not be spared from this one. The only way to keep somebody from dying in your household is by taking a lamb, a spotless lamb, sacrificing it, putting its blood on the doorposts of your house. And then when I come through Egypt to kill all the firstborn, if I see the blood on the door, I will pass over. And that's where we get the word Passover from. It's interesting to me that out of all the plagues, God would have chosen the worst of the ten to also put on Israel. Why did he do that? Well, I can't say for sure. But it's kind of like God made no distinction between the Egyptians and the Jews on that day kind of like all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the only way to get saved is the same. You must believe in the blood of the Lamb. Sound familiar? And as I pointed out to the people at the Passover Supper, they had to take the blood in, from the bucket at the, at the base of the door with a brush of hyssop and put it up on the top and put it on the sides. So That imagery would have been, in our minds, here, They had no clue what they were doing, no clue whatsoever. But we look back and we're like, whoa, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I get it. God was drawing a picture on the door of Jesus thousands of years ago, 1,500 years before Jesus was born. So the Jewish people could be redeemed, but only by sacrificing a pure and spotless Lamb. And by the way, that word spotless is in there for a reason. They had to examine a lamb, and if the lamb had spot, they couldn't use it. Nor were they allowed to break any of its bones. Later on, we get to Jesus, and the Scripture says this about him. You were rescued from the useless way of life that you learned from your ancestors. You know that you were not rescued by such things as silver or gold that don't last forever. You were rescued by the precious blood of Christ that spotless and innocent lamb. So Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And just like the Lamb saved the people in Egypt, Jesus' sacrifice saves us from sin today. The Lamb had to be spotless, which meant pure. Jesus was pure. He was spotless. The only man who ever lived without sin. And it specifically said they couldn't break any of its bones. Now, I've never butchered an animal but I can imagine it'd be very hard to butcher an animal without breaking any of its bones. Why couldn't they break the Passover lamb's bones? So when Jesus was crucified, it was on the eve of Passover, and usually crucifixion could take some days. It was a very slow, torturous death. It was done that way on purpose. But if they wanted to speed it up for any reason whatsoever, like so they could all start the Passover, I mean, the irony and the hypocrisy of that, you know, let's murder these men ultra fast so we can go worship God for Passover. But they wanted to murder the men ultra fast. And their way of doing that was by breaking their legs. Because during the crucifixion process, your body would be hanging on the cross. It was very hard to breathe. Most people died of suffocation. In order to take a breath, you had to push up on the spikes in your legs so you can extend your diaphragm and take a breath. And collapse again. It was, it was torture. Well, so what they would do is break the legs of the guys on the cross so they couldn't push up and take their breath, and they would suffocate. When they got to Jesus, they were going to break his legs, but he was already dead. And to make sure, that's when they stabbed him in the side to his heart, and blood and water came out, which demonstrated he was already dead because the blood and the water were separated. And it proved he was dead because they stabbed him in the heart, and he didn't do anything. He was dead. So they didn't break any of his bones. It was a prophecy Way back, just like this one, but even more precise, because the scripture says, not a bone of him shall be broken. So he's called the Lamb of God, and just like the Lamb saved the people in Egypt, Jesus' sacrifice saves us from sin today. That prophecy I read to you, there's several of them in the Old Testament. Probably the most famous one is in Isaiah chapter 53, why he's called a lamb and not a bull and a dove. But before we go to Isaiah 53... I want to go to a New Testament passage that talks about Isaiah chapter 53. Philip the Evangelist, one of the deacons, Acts chapter 8. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get ready and go south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip got ready and went. I want to point something out to you. The angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get ready and go south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Sometimes people will tell me, hey, man, I'm moving to wherever. We'll say Idaho. Why are you moving to Idaho? Because God told me to go. And I'm like, no, he didn't. You mean God actually spoke to you and said, I want you to go to Idaho? Did he tell you whether you should take a Greyhound, a train, or an airplane? Oh, well, he didn't tell me. It's just, ah, so he didn't tell you. Did he tell you or didn't tell you? Well, I just have this feeling. Okay, then why don't you say I have a feeling? In other words, why don't you just say, I'm going to Idaho because I want to. Oh, it's more than that, Steve. Okay, because you really want to. (laughs) Oh, I think God wants me to go. Well, you think he wants you to go, but do you know he wants you to go? Oh, yeah, I know. How do you know? Because he told me. Oh, he told you? Well, he didn't tell me. We got to stop putting words in God's mouth. When God says something, he says it. Philip, the road to Gaza... Heading south, get on it, go there now. It's very specific, very detailed. Abraham, get up out of your place and out of a country and go to a land that I will show you. Very specific, very detailed. If The words aren't there, and they're not directly from God or his angel. Don't think it's from God. Just think you're being a little emotional, a little flaky, and don't just say God's telling you. Is it possible God wants you to go to Idaho? Absolutely. But let him tell you if he wants you to go to Idaho. He'll tell you. You don't have to guess. Well, how's he going to tell you? I don't know. He told me to go to Bible college. <laughs> he told you? No, he didn't tell me. I was offered a ministry position. And they said, if you're going to work with us, you've got to go to Bible college and we'll pay. Okay, I'll go. God didn't tell me, but he opened the door. It was the only door that opened. All the other doors were shut in my face. I went to the police academy. I graduated up towards the top of my class. And every job I applied for, they just shut the door on me. And then they finally offered me a job somewhere. Finally. And then they called me and said, sorry, we got a hiring freeze. We can't hire anybody right now. The county shut down all our funds. And then I got the phone call. Hey, you want a ministry position? But you got to go to Bible college. I'm like, yeah. There's more to it than that, but I'm going give you an example of how God can work without telling you anything. So I didn't go to Bible college because God told me to go. I went to Bible college because God sent me without telling me. Be very careful that you don't put words in God's mouth. If he wants you to know something, he'll tell you. And if he doesn't want to tell you, he'll make it happen one way or the other. But don't presuppose God's will upon your feelings. It's a very unwise course of action. So the angel of the Lord told Philip, get ready. Go south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip got ready and went. Now, an Ethiopian eunuch was... A, who, now, an Ethiopian eunuch who was an important official in charge of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia, was on his way home. He had been to Jerusalem to worship God and was going back home in his carriage. A lot of data in those sentences. He's Ethiopian. Okay, we know the country he's from. What you may not know, back in those days, Ethiopia was a wealthy, prosperous, influential, powerful nation. Not like today. So we know that this guy was somebody extremely influential. He was an Ethiopian official in charge of the treasury of Ethiopia. Ethiopia was one of the most wealthy countries in the world. Imagine if I said, oh, yeah, this is Fred. He controls the treasury of the United States of America. He holds the checkbook. He decides who gets the money and when. And the queen of Ethiopia trusts him to manage all the money. So he was a big shot. He was Ethiopian, so we know he wasn't Jewish. Why is that significant? For two reasons. First of all, he was just in Jerusalem worshiping. Why? He's not Jewish. Well, you don't have to be Jewish even in those days to worship the one true and living God. But the fact that he went to Jerusalem tells us he believed in God, but he never converted to Judaism. This is what's known in Jewish history as a God-fearer, and it's also in the Bible. Somebody who's not Jewish but believes in the God of Israel never converts. He was a good man, a man of God. And God wanted him to hear the gospel. Why him? That's a good question. My guess is because he wasn't Jewish and because he was a powerful nobleman. Two big bangs for your buck in preaching the gospel to this guy. So Philip the deacon is sent to him and as he rode along He was reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Again, how did he have in his possession a book of the prophet Isaiah? He was a wealthy, influential man. Nobody had a personal possession of the book. A synagogue might have had one, but not an individual unless he was wealthy. And he was reading the book. He was literate. What percentage of the population in those days was literate? Just a few percent. So he was educated. He was literate. He was wealthy. He was influential. He followed God. And he was studying the scriptures on the way home from worshiping God. This is a man of God. I'm going to meet him someday. He will be in heaven and I will meet him. So, the Holy Spirit says to Philip, "Ah, this part's not even an angel now. Now we got the Holy Spirit speaking to Philip. Go over to him. Go over to the carriage and stay close to it. Okay. Very detailed, very specific. Not a feeling, not a sensation. Philip, there's that carriage. Run up to it and stay near it. Okay, God. He runs over to it, he stays near it. So Philip ran over and heard him reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? The Holy Spirit backs out now. Philip knows what to do. Philip's an evangelist. Nobody's got to tell him from this point what to do. It would be the same with you, you know. I have no doubt if somebody sat next to you on the park bench and started reading out loud the book of Isaiah, or Romans, you'd probably say something. If you're an evangelist, you'll definitely say something. See, So we asked him, do you know what you're reading? And the official replied, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And he invited Philip to climb up and sit in the carriage with him. Okay, let me tell you what you don't know that's going on here. How can I understand it? He wasn't raised from a Jewish environment. Jewish people in these days were from childhood. They memorized Scripture. They went to the synagogue all the time, and they studied the prophets. Philip knew this stuff. Plus, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. This guy was a foreigner. Maybe this is the first time he's ever read the book. Maybe he just bought it in Jerusalem. And he's reading it, and he's like, who's Isaiah? And, and it doesn't make sense. I don't get it. And now he sees this Jewish guy walking right next to his carriage. He doesn't know God sent him. Steve, how does he know he's Jewish? Well, he looked Jewish. See, Jewish people were supposed to dress differently than everybody else so that you could identify them just by looking at them. They had fringes on the borders of their garments. Most Romans and Greeks didn't have the same facial hair, the same type of clothing. He wasn't wearing a toga. He had fringes. He had full facial hair, dark skin, but not like an Ethiopian. I know that this is a Jew. Hey, can you explain it to me? Of course, I'm Jewish. I can explain it to you. Kind of like you. Um, Imagine somebody coming to this country for the first time from Africa. But from a part of Africa where they've never heard about Jesus. But they speak English. And they ask you, you you American? Yeah, I'm American. You a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Who's Jesus? You're going to know what to say. You know exactly who he is. And then you can sit and share the gospel with them. That's exactly what happened here. The only difference is God set it up. Because God wanted this guy to hear the gospel at this time. By the way, that gives me a lot of hope. Sometimes we, we hear, hear these people saying, Ah, oh, but what about the poor guy who lives in Papua New Guinea in the bushes who will never hear the gospel? I don't worry about that guy. When he's ready to hear the gospel, here he'll, he'll hear the gospel. God takes Philip out of one place and pops him into another miraculously. In the book of Revelation, angels fly through the sky preaching the gospel. I am not worried about anybody hearing the gospel. Our responsibility is to preach it, not to worry about the people we never meet who we can't preach it to. Anybody's ready for the gospel, they'll get the gospel, even if that means God has to rearrange your molecules and replace you in that location like he does with Philip a little later. After he baptizes this guy, God just snatches him out of there and puts him somewhere else where he's needed. So how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And he invited Philip to climb up and sit in the carriage with him. And the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. Isaiah chapter 53. He was like a sheep that is taken to be slaughtered. Not an ox, not a dove. Like a lamb that makes no sound when its wool is cut off. He did not say a word. He was humiliated. And justice was denied him. No one will be able to tell about his descendants because his life on this earth has come to an end. So the official asked Philip, tell me, of whom is this prophet saying this? Of himself or someone else? That is a good question. Of whom does the prophet speak? This isn't ancient. I get asked this question all the time. When I talk to Jewish people, They'll say, hey, man, you're Jewish. Why do you believe in Jesus? We don't believe in Jesus. We're Jews. they say, I do believe in Jesus. Why? I show them this passage, Isaiah chapter 53. And almost every time, here's how I'll do it. I'll say, here, read this. Boom. And they'll read the chapter. You have to go home and read it if you don't know it. And they'll say, yeah, that's Jesus, but that's from the New Testament, right? I'll say, no, that's from the Jewish Bible. And there's silence they're waiting to see if I'm going to laugh, like I just lied to them. It's from the Jewish Bible? Oh, you must have a Christian version of it. Like, no, that's exactly what your Bible says if you go home and take it off your shelf. They're, they're, they're perplexed. How can there be a chapter in the Jewish Bible that plainly talks about Jesus when the Jewish people don't believe in Jesus? They are dumbfounded. And their gears are spinning. They know I'm not lying, or at least they're not sure. But there it is in black and white. And they're like, how can this be? Sometimes they'll say, whoa, wonder what the rabbi will say about this. I say, I'll tell you exactly what they'll tell you. Here's what the rabbi say about that chapter of scripture. And by the way, did you know they won't read it in the synagogue? It's been left out? No. Yeah. It's in the Bible, but it's not in the readings in the synagogue. Here's what they'll say. They'll say, that chapter is talking about the nation of Israel. And almost immediately they'll say, that doesn't make any sense. And I'll say, you're right, it doesn't make any sense. They'll say, it can't be talking about Israel. And I'll say, you're right, it can't be. And often that ends our spiritual conversation. Because their world has just been blown inside and out. And it's enough. I leave them with it. Let them go home and think on it. Let them go home and pray on it. It's a very powerful chapter and I encourage you to read it. So, of whom does the prophet speak? Of himself or someone else? Then Philip began to speak, starting from this passage of Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He believed, he got baptized, and Philip got spirited away. Not only is the death of the Lamb, the sacrifice of the Lamb mentioned in Isaiah chapter 53, but his resurrection is also implied very strongly in this chapter. Isaiah 53, verse 8. He was arrested, sentenced, and led off to die. And no one cared about his fate. He was put to death for the sins of his people. And then in verse 11, it says, After a life of suffering, he will again have joy. After a life of suffering, he will again have joy. He will know that he did not suffer in vain. So I will give him a place of honor, a place among the great and powerful. Obviously, there's going to be a resurrection. Because he willingly gave his life, He took the place of many sinners. The Easter story, the Passover story are one story. One talks about the death, the other talks about his resurrection. It's one story. You can't have either without the other. You might find this interesting. The word Easter doesn't occur in the Bible. Actually, in the old King James it does. One time. And yet the word that's translated Easter, that one time... Every other place it's translated in the Bible, it's translated as the word Passover. Passover and Easter are one holiday. Unfortunately, they were torn apart, but now we know how they go together. Jesus is the Lamb of God who died for our sins on Passover, and part of Passover, the third day, is the Feast of fruits, and Jesus rose from the, fr- from the grave as the firstfruits of those who rise. So all of this comes together in one simple verse... It says, Philip preached to him the good news of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, I believe in Jesus and I pray that you would help me and help us to believe in him stronger and stronger and more and more. And that it wouldn't just be an an intellectual faith, but a working faith. A faith that we live out in a godly and spiritual way. Help us to be good and godly people. And as you sent Philip to preach the gospel, send us, maybe in less dramatic ways, but help us to preach the gospel with other people that they might come to know you. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.